We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to another one. Uh, Sean Ziegler, Brian, can you explain the wideout positions? I've heard you refer to them as W, I think X, I think Z. I've watched football my whole life and never heard that until I started listening to you. So just so you know, that's not what I call them. I'm just telling you what Notre Dame calls them. I've never called a boundary receiver a W. That's always been the X for me, right? And the Z was always the outside guy for me. And then Mm -hmm. the slot was something else, right? Uh, Different places. The W is the boundary receiver. So basically that is the, the, the split end in the old school term, the split end in an offense. And then, so he's going to go to the short side of the field. So ball's on the left hash. He's going to be on the left side. Now, sometimes it won't be the case if the, if the ball's on the left hash and they go to a trips formation with tight end to the boundary and it's three receivers, he'll, but he'll be the number three usually in that scenario in a trip situation. The X is the outside field position. So that's where we'll – so W – that's Miles Boykin. That's where Chase Claypool played his last year. That's the Kevin Austin played W. The X is the field outside position. So it's what Braden Lindsay played last year. It's what Will Fuller played uh, in, in previous years. It's it's he's usually going to be a field guy, and he lines up out wide. Again, there's certain formations where maybe he's stacked or whatever the case may be inside, but he's usually the out. Just in theory, he's the outside guy. And then the Z is your slot. It's Avery Davis. It's it's Amir Carlisle. That's the position. That is the uh, the Z. So in past alignments, so in 2018, Miles Boykin was the W. Chase Claypool was the X. Chris Fink was the Z. In 2015, Chris Brown was the W. Will Fuller was the X. And Amir Carlisle was the Z. That's kind of those positions. So it's just what they call them. And so boundary receivers W, field X, field outside is X, slot is the Z. And the slot can go either side. That's the other interesting thing is he's not – by base alignment, he's a field guy, but there's a lot of calls where they'll put him to the to the to the boundary as well. So yeah, that that's that. Did I get that? Did I did I get that, Ryan? Did I leave anything out? Nailed it. Did I get that pretty good. All right. Mm-hmm. Justin Carlson. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. It says Notre Dame is trending towards LBU with recent recruiting. My initial. Under- Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say. I mean. You put out the stat yesterday, right? That was like they've won three Buckus Awards in the last ten years. Only right? team I mean, so to do it in the last ten years, yeah. It's a great start, and I mean, Justin, to your to your point, if they keep recruiting the linebacker position like they are, it's hard to imagine that it's not going to get even better. If we're being completely honest, like there's so many dudes. So yeah, I think that you're definitely charging toward. I think that you have a claim for it right now in the last ten years, yeah. Just by that fact alone. So. I get. I agree with what your point of what you're saying, but for me, I because this is also what we talked about. I can't go there because of the fact that the drop off from the number one guy to the number two and three guys has been so stark. What I will say, however, is I do think Notre Dame could quickly claim that mark if the recruiting turns into on field. So if Maris Lewifow this year turns into a dude, right, and then Jer- Jalen Sneed and Drake Bowen and if they get Jaden Osbury and junior too, and those guys turn out to be what they are, Ryan, then I think you're in a situation where you, you could say, Hey, they could quickly do it because of the past success, because they have, they, to me, they produced two generational linebackers in a decade 
not many teams can, you know, Bama could say maybe they did that, right? But not many teams can say that. I mean, Notre Dame had a Heisman Trophy runner-up and a guy that is arguably the most physically gifted linebacker the last 20 years in Jalen Smith, right? And Jeremiah Usukormo wasn't exactly a bum, right? And then in 2018, you had you had Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney, really good linebacker tandem. So the baseline is there where they're at least in the conversation already. If recruiting turns into production of the current group, then yeah, I think they could be there. I think they it's could possible. be there. So his point is they're trending, and I think that's a an accurate statement. Sure. It's just you just have to coach those guys up to to play to their recruiting level. You certainly so. have a couple good former linebackers on the staff right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. What's that guy's name? Uh, Larinitis, <laughs> pretty good player. Same most Rams yeah. all-time leading tackler. Mar- Marcus Freeman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then the other guy who didn't play linebacker on defense coached linebackers in the Super Bowl last year. So yep, um, there you go. Uh, Tristan Paul, any Samuel and Pemba news from media IMG Media Day today? We had a little something on the message board today. Uh, Samuel talked glowingly about Notre Dame. He is still all set to take his visit to Notre Dame. He did say something that we put on the message board uh, where he just does have three schools that are kind of standing out a little bit. He wouldn't say who they are. We have some guesses on who we think they are, but we'll leave that stuff for the behind the paywall type of type of stuff. So here's a question from TRAM28. Ryan, for you, what does the 2024 running back board look like? Corey Smith's name has been brought up on previous shows. What other elite guys are the staff looking at? Tavani Mazzell, Taylor Tatum, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you named the, the guy that I like the most, I think, at this point is Corey Smith out of Wisconsin. They've offered Aeneas, Aeneas Williams, excuse me, out of Missouri, who's kind of a, was a little bit of a late ri- – I don't want to say late riser because he just got off his sophomore year, but he didn't have a ton of offers until this spring and summer, and he really lit up like basically every circuit he's been on. He's been just – I mean, he's got Ohio State now, Oklahoma. He's really kind of packing up a lot a lot of offers here. They have Brian Jackson that's on the uh, that's on the board, Nathaniel Palmer. They're both Texas guys. Davion Gauze is a player out of Florida that's on the board, as well as Jarrett Gibson. They have Stacey Gage on the board, although – you know, that's kind of a pipe dream at this point. Anthony Carey out of Florida as well. And then they're still recruiting Cameron Davis out of Florida State, but he is committed currently. But I think that the players that I think that Notre Dame has the most traction with right now, and I think it's still really early for the running back board, is I think Corey Smith is very intrigued by Notre Dame early. And Aeneas Williams, the, the spelling is throwing me off because I remember Aeneas Williams, the former quarterback. I think Aeneas Williams also really likes Notre Dame as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee. 
but there is a perfect coffee for you in Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Next question is Paul Benoit. This is for Ryan specifically. Who do you think would win among the alignment in a 110 hurdle race? Does adding a full contact steeplechase immediately afterwards change your answer? <laughs> I'm glad that's for you only. <laughs> if, if anybody doesn't know what a steeplechase is, you should go right now on YouTube and Google steeplechase f- f- uh, fails because basically a steeplechase is like 5,000 meters where you run around. There's water pits, there's barriers, there's hurdles, and you have to go all over this stuff and you get wet and it's it's nuts, man. So go go steeplechase. It's it's bizarre. So we're talking about hurdles though, Brian, especially mm-hmm. the 110s. We need some straight line speed, obviously, right? You also need longer legs because you got to get over those hurdles. So I think I'm going to take oh, – man, I want to – oh, man. I'm going to go Joe Walt here. I think okay. Joe Walt. He's got the combination of heights, and I think he's a really good straight-line athlete. I was thinking Blake Fisher, but Blake's got an extra, you know, 25-ish pounds on Joe Alt. So I think Joe might be a little more aerodynamic just slightly. So I'm going to go him unless I can count the incoming freshmen that are – not on campus yet because that might well actually that it is on campus now but has not been a part of Notre Dame's program yet and that's Emil Wagner that would be my actual pick but if it's just players that are currently suiting up for Notre Dame or have this past spring then it would be Joe Alt and does it change my point of view Paul um, I wouldn't pick any of them because if I see any of those guys finish finish a steeplechase I would be very very impressed we'll leave it at that yes Interesting question, but it is free for all Friday. So here's one. We'll we'll, we'll throw our our boy Archer a bone here real quick. It's this mailbag question. Top five Buckeye fans of all time. Okay, so I uh, will say Archer, my uncle Marty. (laughs) We'll start naming family members, okay? That's my cousin Vanessa, but I have since converted her to a Notre Dame fan. So that makes her probably number one because she's now a Notre Dame fan. Uh, I don't know. Pick two other family members of mine that are Ohio State fans. That's a, the only good Ohio State fans that I know, and I and I only love them because they're my family members. And so, uh, but I thought he was going to ask who are his top five Buckeyes of all players of all time. But uh, there's not a top. There's not enough people to fill out my top five favorite Buckeye fans of all time. I, so, I, I thought so. he was talking about the uh, the the desserts, the Buckeyes, mm-hmm. which are also yeah. delicious. If we're my mom honest. makes those every Christmas, so I have to have her send you some this year, Ryan. So she makes yes. them very, very good. <laughs> I did want to ask this though, and this is my question: Who are the top, in your opinion, top five Ohio State players of all time? Do you have a thought on that? I actually do. So of all time, of all time, um, when I say all time, I'm talking about like people that I have lived to watch play. Uh, okay. So like, I'm not talking was, about like Jack Tatum. Cause I never saw Jack I was, Tatum play. Right. I, I was going to say Archie Griffin would have to be right. In there, right. He's only two time Heisman. Trophy He's winner, the only right? guy so. I haven't seen play that I'm throwing in there because the two Heismans, but after that it's Eddie George, Orlando Pace, Chris Spielman and AJ Hawker. My five would be my AJ, five. Yeah. Uh, Orlando Pace was little before you incredible no no i I remember with the rams and i even remember him a little bit with ohio state so i'll say orlando pace is definitely in there eddie george was a monster i remember more tennessee days than ohio state days but like he was just an oh he was that guy in ohio and at ohio state as well oh i know i know i've seen seen the highlights in the stats i I know i know he's pretty pretty darn good player yes malcolm jenkins was a fantastic player for the buckeyes fantastic AJ Hawk was a really good player for the Buckeyes. That comes to my mind quickly. Yeah. And then, I mean, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, like I, I guess one of those guys might be on that list as well. Like it, you could pick pick your guy at that point. Good question. All right, let's get to some more. We've got Connor Patton with Super Chat. Who are the teams who could surprise everyone by winning a national championship this year? Sean and I did a little bit of a, a – yeah, that's, that's a great – I mean, that would shock everybody. 
would shock everybody. Mm-hmm. Who other than Notre Dame would be your pick? We talked about this in one of the RTCF shows recently. You know, who could be sleeper teams this year? And I, I don't know if anybody that I know is a sleeper to win it all. Yeah. Like, you know, cause like, I, like I, I predicted LSU to win the, to make the playoff in 2019. And I thought maybe they could win it all, but I didn't, I didn't think they were going to be what they were. I mean, so, but I, so I, but I don't know, I don't see a Joe Burrow out there. I don't have a feeling about a transfer quarterback like I had about him. But the other thing is I thought LSU had great talent. They just didn't have a system in place to get it out. And when I, when they brought in Joe Brady, I didn't know anything about him other than what I had read from the spring, what they were going to open it up, throw the ball more, all that kind of, I was like, okay, they're finally going to have a coach that's going to play to their talent. Cause there's no, there's been no program in college football, in my opinion, the last fit 10 years that's wasted more elite receiver talent than LSU up until 2019. I mean, I think of all the guys that came through that, that just had elite receiving cores and they just didn't use them to their full potential than LSU. And, um, you know, so I just felt that they were going to be pretty good, but I don't see anybody like that this year, you know? So I, I just, if I had to know. throw a team out, I guess I would just throw out Texas, like not to win yeah. a national championship, but like right. they have a lot more offensive firepower. They should be, you know, a year, a year under Sark, they should be better. There is some defensive talent. They just, right. and the big 12 is also not a great conference. And right. Oklahoma, I think, is going to take a little step back. So, like, maybe they're the team this year. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. So, for me, I'd probably go Oklahoma for the Big 12. And here's what – I think what you said was correct. I think I think Texas could have a great offense this year, but I think their defensive talent is still not very good. I actually think Oklahoma has decent talent on defense. I think they weren't coached to get the most out of them. I really don't. I mean, they've got guys like Woody Washington, guys like that. I mean, look, they had four guys drafted off their defense this past year, and the defense sucked. You know, they've recruited defensive play. Like, they've recruited some guys. I'm like, man, I would love if that guy would have come to Notre Dame. They just haven't coached those guys up. They don't put them in position to be successful. And it's like when I say that to people, they react just like you did. And I'm like, that's exactly the response I got when I told people LSU's offense is going to be scary going into 2019. The question I I have with Oklahoma is I just don't think they have a quarterback that can get – I'm just – I'm not a huge Dylan Gabriel guy when it comes to that level. Uh, I think the talent around him is good, but it's not as good as it's been in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Like I love Marvin Mims, but he's not CeeDee Lamb. He's not that kind of guy. He's not Hollywood Brown dynamic, and and their their offensive line is good, but they don't have the same running backs they've had in past years. So actually, their offense is the is the side of the ball that I I don't know if it's going to be good enough. But I think their defense, if their offense is like what it's been, right? If they can mm-hmm. get the offense going, this is my point. If the offense can look like it has in the past, I actually think Oklahoma will be good enough on defense this year to compete because they've been atrocious on defense in past years. Because I do think they have some talent. So if I had to pick a Big 12 team, and I'm not, that would be my pick over Texas. Because I think Texas's defense is going to be really not good this year when it comes to playing against the best teams. But we'll find out in week two, right? Week two or three, they play yeah. Bama. We'll mm-hmm. find out. Because I really like their D coordinator, though. Like That's why I would not necessarily say that I disagree with you about Texas. It's the combination of the I question the town on defense and I just have a hard time seeing Quinn Ewers having the maturity to go out and win a championship. If that, you know what I mean? But man, you could argue they have the best running back receiver tandem in the college football. They could Mm -hmm. potentially have that with Bijan and Xavier worthy. They could. And so this is what we talked about when I did the show, Sean is they don't need Quinn Ewers to be an all American to be really good this year. They just need him to just get the ball where it needs to go and run the offense. Sure. But I think Texas could be scary. I just don't love their talent on defense. Even though I look love Coach Kwiatkowski as a D coordinator, I just don't love their talent on on defense. So that'd be my only concern. Plus, the Bama game scares me. You know, because if they get blown, because it's so early, if they get blown out, how's that going to look on their resume when they're trying to get in the playoff? Could they even get in if they get blown out by Bama? Are they going to have a shot to get in with the perception of the Big Twelve being what it is? Sure. You know, that's that's the other concern that I have. Now, if they can play Bama tough, then all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. So who else would it be that could surprise everyone? I, I really don't – I mean, there's not a Pac-12 team that I think can win it all. No. You know, it would be something like – I mean, other than Notre Dame, I mean, I I don't see anyone in the ACC. I don't see anyone in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. I don't see anyone in the SEC outside of um, – you know, I just – I don't see it. I really don't Penn, see it. So Penn State, if they had a good quarterback, maybe. Yeah. But, I mean, other yeah. – you know, whatever. Yep. Yep, that's kind of – that's kind of my thing. So, yeah, if they had a better quarterback, Penn State's got some – they could surprise some people. 
Tennessee's going to be out. a tough out for team for people this year. If that's a team that you want to yep. just I, I, again, they're playing in the SEC, so I don't imagine they'll have the. They don't. I don't think they'll be able to be the top of the SEC. So I don't think they'll be able to crash the party, but they'll mm-hmm. be a tough out in the SEC, in my opinion. Yep, agree. Chief Brody with a super chat. Thank you. When will Notre Dame retroactively? claim 1993 and 2012 championships was this the one you were responding to guys respond to earlier um i i appreciate that my only my only thing is as stupid as as it is that i think alabama does that alabama doesn't claim a title in a year where no one gave them one it's just they claim these like obscure titles like you know like whatever the coach's poll was back in the 70s that handed out titles before bowl games like that it's dumb stuff like that that doesn't exist now. Those polls don't exist now. So that's the only the only caveat. But I definitely appreciate the the shade and the sarcasm. And if that was possible, I would love for Notre Dame to do that. I'd I'd be curious if Notre Dame did have anybody. Because there were still in 93, there were other polls, I believe, than just the AP and the coaches. Mm-hmm. I would be curious if anyone gave Notre Dame the number one ranking that year. I'll have to go look that up. This is another one of the days, the many, many days where I really wish we had loose emoji around. Because I could literally have the answer in the next well, however long it would take him to see the text that I would send him and then respond would be, uh, you know, uh, who who it would who I would want to go with. So uh, Felix Fournier, had Kelly left a year earlier, do you think Tom Reese still goes after Jack Cohn or another transfer or would he have gone with Pine and Buckner? I, Ryan, do you, I think he would have gone, with Cohn, gone after Cohn still. I think it would definitely would have been a grad transfer. I mean, we've put a little intel on the board before that Notre Dame was actually – trying to look at a different quarterback even before mm-hmm. Jack Cohn. So I, I think they would have went the transfer quarterback route though. Yeah. I think it, I, yeah. it would have ended up with Jack Cohn probably most likely. I don't think yeah. there was any other attractive as attractive of options out there aside from Jack that made sense. And I don't think they would have wanted to go with a true freshman quarterback or that they felt Drew Pine was ready to be the guy. Now, if there, if there wasn't a Jack Cohn, Kenny Pickett available, I don't mm-hmm. think they'd have taken a grad transfer just to take one and then stuck them into the starting lineup no matter what. I think that guy would have had to win the job. And then maybe Drew or and or Tyler would have taken over, but they would have still pursued a grad transfer. And Jack Cohn, once Notre Dame got involved with Jack Cohn, it was over. He was going Notre Dame. There, there was no question there. Hunter asks, since y'all are talking about other teams, how do you think Cincinnati will do this year? I like to hear an outside perspective. Ryan, I'll let you get a first crack at that one. They're an interesting team. I think they're a little bit of an enigma this year because this is a big test for how far that program has come in a very short amount of time because you're losing a lot of talents, right? Like both starting Mm -hmm. corners. One is the Jim Thorpe Award winner, and the other one went top 10 overall in the recent Mm -hmm. draft, right? So you're losing both of them. You're losing a really good linebacker in Darian Beavers. You're losing a really good pass rusher in Majay Sanders. You're losing your quarterback, Desiree Ritter, who was a – four-year player you're losing your running back who is a really good player former transfer from Alabama you're losing Alec Pierce there's a lot of turnover on this roster and I I mean I I'm hearing that Prater is probably gonna be the starting quarterback most likely we'll see obviously I mean he was a really high recruit for them the, I think he's the got highest. some ability yeah it's very similar to Desmond Ritter big talented big armed yes. athletic but raw exactly but raw yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a big test, Brian. Like I, I honestly would think like a nine and three year or a 10 and two year would be a big success mm-hmm. for Cincinnati this year with how much turnover they had. Cause they lost a lot of dudes. Yeah, they man. did. And and they also lost coaches. I mean, yeah, that's the true. other thing too, is they lost a lot of coaches. They lost, uh, they lost uh, uh, Den Brock, the offensive coordinator. They lost Brian Mason, their special teams coach. They lost, was it Tim Walton? Was he the guy that left the, the, the Ohio state had two, hired two DB coaches, and one of them was a guy that came from Cincinnati. So they lost him too. They were they they hired Kerry Coombs, who's a good recruiter. I don't know how much coaching he has left. So they've definitely had some turnover. You know, will Gino Goduli be able to replace what what um, what Mike Denbrock did? We'll see. And Gino's a smart young coach. The concern I have, though, Ryan, is I don't think Trestle did a great job last year. I just think mm-hmm. he had phenomenal players. Sure did. And they lost almost all those guys. It, Kobe and Cook are both, both are in the NFL now, right? Didn't they both Correct. leave? You, you lost Sauce Gardner, who's probably the greatest player your school's ever had. You lost Myjay Sanders. They lost Beavers, too, correct? Yes. And yep. and they lost the other the, the, the other interior defensive lineman they had. It was a pretty good player. They got Curtis drafted, Brooks. Curtis right? Brooks. 
and then of course you lost you lost uh you know you lost your running back right Jerome Ford's in the NFL Alec Pierce is gone I just don't know if Cincinnati's the type of team that can overcome that especially when you have teams like Houston returns a lot of players SMU returns a really good quarterback now we'll see you know what their coaching is like obviously they lost Sonny Dykes you know I think the ACC is going to be ACAAC is going to be decent this year uh, but when you look at Cincinnati's schedule, I mean, you know, they they, they start things off at Arkansas. That's that's going to be tough, right? I mean, that's, that's going to be tough. If they can somehow, you know, weather the next month where they got to play Indiana at home and at Tulsa and UCF, I think it'll be okay. But then they get in the next – the final stretch, you know, at SMU is not going to be easy. At UCF, not going to be easy. You know, after that, I mean, Navy they should win. ECU at home, at Temple, Tulane. So – if they go into November with one or two losses, they're going to finish with one or two losses. If they go into, you know, but it's going to be early part of the season. So uh, I still think they've recruited well enough, Ryan, where they still should be in contention for the AAC championship. I just don't Go think it's going to be dominating and blowing people out and just kicking people's behinds. And I don't think they can play as bad as they did at times last year and still win. Sure, you know what I mean? Because they had a couple, they had a couple ugly games last year, but they were just so much better than the teams that they play that it didn't matter. If you play against Indiana this year like you did last year, you're going to lose. I mean, you know, that that's the reality of it. I mean, if you play if you play against some of the teams this year like you played against Tulane and Navy and Tulsa last year, you're going to get beat. You know, they just were so much more talented than everybody else. And I don't think they have that type of gap this year, Hunter. But I still expect them to be a good football team. Yep. So next question, John Klimek with a super chat. Thank you, John. He goes, reverse it. This is from earlier, the scenario. You're down four, 330 left at the Ohio State 35. So you're going in. Third and eight, 189 rushing yards, 220 passing yards. Tyler Buckner, 17 of 27. 12 personnel has had its way. How do you play it? Well, I don't think you can be in 12 personnel on third and eight. So that's that's kind of the, the question that I have there. I don't know if you can be in third and pers- uh, in 12 personnel on third and eight. I guess part of me, I would want to know who my 12 personnel person is. Is it a tight end? Is it, you know, I mean, is it, I mean, is it Kane Barong? Is it, is it Eli Raritan? Something like that. I would think that you'd be in 11 personnel. I would hope that one of your guys is a, is a, is a bigger guy, you know, Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey, something like that. Um, so I would probably go 11 personnel even if 12 personnel has been killing it in that scenario, third and eight at the 35, the reality is three 30 left. I'd want to know how many timeouts I had, but honestly, I'm probably not in that scenario, putting the game on my defense. I'm probably not going to say, Hey defense, you got to stop Ohio state from getting a first down. I think at that point in time, if you have, if a touchdown can win you the game, there's three 30 left. You're in Ohio state territory. Field goal doesn't do anything for you at that point in time, because I'm not going to put my defense in a position where they have to make a stop. I think what I'm doing is I'm going 11 personnel. I'm probably going with some sort of um, trips formation. I would probably put Michael Mayer into the boundary because I would want to see, I would want to see, are you going to single, are you going to single cover him, which gives me a one-on-one? Are you going to have two people over there, which then helps me get some numbers? I would probably have some scenario where I do one of two things. I would either go, you know, some sort of uh, either an empty or a free release to try to get Ohio State out of the box, or I would put some kind of movement throw, some kind of rollout type situation. The reason I would say that is, Ryan, is I'd want to have a scenario where if Ohio State bails, Tyler Buckner can run for the first down. Because here's the thing, if I'm down four and it's third and eight, I'm not in a have to get a first down territory. I'm in two down territory at this point in time. Because that's what yep. I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not putting this on my defense. I'm not going to punted and pin them and try to get the ball back no i'm not doing that i'm going for the win and so i'm in two down territory so the reason i would do some sort of empty with a potential rpo draw is because if i get six steal six yards now i'm in fourth and two and i got a lot more stuff on my plate so you don't need to go for the first down and that's also the reason i kind of like moving the pocket so if they play you man maybe you get somebody one-on-one and if i'm in a three by one with mayor backside i can have him coming streaking across on a drag if i don't like you know, if, if, if I'm doing some sort, of, some sort of rollout, the other option is, is to put Mayer in as the number two, run him on some sort of deep, deep cut where then they're going to fly deeper. And then maybe my trips guy can kind of come on a delay out 
where I, if, you know, maybe he can outrun, if I put Lorenzo there, actually probably think about it, let him outrun that inside linebacker or safety coming from distance, they're probably going to buzz underneath Mayer, and maybe I can get a little cheap something to Lorenzo that allows him to kind of catch and run and get me more yards. But it, then if they really drop and cover, or I catch him in a cover one or cover zero, and those guys turn up, Buckner can keep that sucker and run it and get you at least six yards, if not pick up the first down. So I would still be in a situation where running is an option, but it would be running with Buckner in some sort of, you know, QB draw RPO type of thing. You know what I'm saying, Ryan? Like that would yeah. be kind of where I would be, or I would move the pocket. That's kind of where I would be in that scenario. Cause again, I'm in two down territory. I would want, I would not want to do a pure drop back because if I'm Ohio state in that scenario, I'm coming. I'm coming at you because I'm trying to create a negative and get you out of two down because Ohio State knows they're not in field goal territory. They're not going to punt it to us. We can't let them get five, six yards and put them in fourth down. We want to create a negative now. And so, and Ohio State has the flip thing true for them, Ryan, in that I would have more confidence that my offense can go down and get the ball and go get a score. So if I can take a risk, because if that risk doesn't pan out and they end up scoring, I'm okay. I trust my offense because that's their best part of their team. Whereas for Notre Dame, it's the other side. I'm always mm-hmm. going to put my best part of my team in position to win the game. So I think they can take a chance there. And if Notre Dame does a pure drop back there, then th- there's a chance they turn somebody loose and, and get a sack or create an incomplete. And all of a sudden you're in fourth and eight. I would want to put myself in a high percentage positive yards scenario. And that's why I think the RPO, the quarterback draw and some sort of movement where worst case scenario, Buckner tucks it and runs is really where I'm, I'd be most comfortable in that scenario. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I think anytime that you have a player like a Tyler Buckner, I'd like giving them options on a play, right? So, like right. to your point, it's if it's third and eight, I don't have to. If I'm in two, if I'm in four down territory, I don't have to force anything. I mean, the only other thing I was thinking is if I'm in some type of three by one sets, you know, maybe trying to work a little bit of levels action, like maybe mm-hmm. even outside guys running a let's say outside guys running some type of slants. And then I have my two inside guys running sort of a vertical, but I can make it almost like a smash concept mm-hmm. and have the number two run the corner, like makes it look like he's running off and then, sna- you know, just snatch right to the corner, maybe like a Michael Mayer and get the easy first down some, t- some type of thing like that mm-hmm. too. So I agree with you though. I, I wouldn't, I would not make Tyler Buckner a stationary player if I don't have to like that's right. Something not in that scenario. Right. You're, you're cutting off the best parts of your team. Right. right. So I mean, even if like I'm a three by one set, maybe I'm going to, you know, three by one, but I'm going to roll towards the trips. You know what I mean? To like try to give us some options. So I agree mm-hmm. with you. I don't think that I don't think taking away part a big part of what Tyler Buckner does as a great athlete is advantageous when the game's on the line. Yep, agree. That's the nice thing about this situation compared to last year mm-hmm. is last year. You're like you're not moving the pocket. I, I'm heating Ohio, Notre Dame up. Sure. And I'm going to, cause they, they didn't have, I'm pressing, like it was easy in this scenario last year. If you're a good, if you're a team like Ohio State, press them and blitz. Cause Jack Cohn's not making somebody miss. And if you, and if you press them, they're not getting open right away. So unless Michael Mayer just beasts you, which is possible, you're sure. not, you're not successful there. Yeah. And press. that's what makes this team so much more dangerous, Ryan, is because you do have that option of things could break down, but you got number 12 back there that could still go do something. Exactly. And you know that's that's kind of what makes you ner- makes you makes you dangerous in my opinion. I, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, and I have some intel about this. But there's a lot of people around Notre Dame that are like, I don't think people uh, understand just how dynamic this kid is. Talking about Tyler mm-hmm. Buckner, and right. the great thing is you don't always have to have the right play call when you got a kid like that, right? Yep. And make you look good. Yep. You can. It can definitely make you look good. There's no doubt about that. Great question, John. Great, great question. Uh, another recruiting question. What are the thoughts on the branch Texas A&M situation? Any chance it might change the recruitment of Novasad? I think that's what the kid that's committed to USC is visiting. Uh, the receivers visiting A&M, uh, yeah, as true. is Malachi Nelson. I, for, I know Nelson Z- is. It's yeah. Zechariah, right? I get the two brothers' names. Zion is the is the older one that's there now, right? And then yes. Zechariah is the one that's in high school now is the receiver. I get the two yeah. brothers' names mixed up. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it changes the recruitment of Novasat at all. I don't, I don't think so either. I, I was given a little bit of insight that I think that Texas A&M is set on Novasat being the top option at quarterback. That That's the right. guy that they're pushing for. So I know they got he's Malachi also the most Nelson. realistic. 
Right. 100%. Yeah, I know they have Malachi Nelson coming in this weekend, but, you know, from what we're told, that's going to take a lot to make that flip happen. So, yep. I agree. And honestly, I don't think Novasad, if Novasad's going to make a decision on what receivers are to school, he's going to Notre Dame because he knows Jay, because of how close he is with Jane Greathouse and Braylon James. And, and Branch is an elite five star player. You could argue he's ranked higher than, he'll be ranked higher than all the Notre Dame guys, rightfully so. But he's one dude. Notre sure. Dame's got more uh, than that. And so, yeah. And now he they had a really good receiver class last year. But I, I really believe that this is going to come down to Notre Dame and Baylor. Ryan and you and I, are, I think, are on the same page there. I think this is going to come down to Notre yeah. Dame or Baylor. I, I don't think a is going to be the team that gets him. Because I, I don't think I, it's a situation I, where they can just throw a bag at him because I don't think that's something that Austin's looking for at this point in time. That's not what's going to decide where he's going. I, I agree. I, I don't. I think it's much more likely he ends back at – he stays with Baylor than ends anywhere else than Notre Dame. We'll right. Just leave it at that, I guess. Right. Yep. Yep. Agree. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Michael asks, Brian, B. Ryan, aside from the obvious of winning on the field, what changes or improvements could Notre Dame make to improve recruiting, also retaining commits and combating poaching and so on, if possible? I, I think you're seeing it already, Michael. I mean, with the, the video that, that Marcus Freeman made for the Shamrock series and the fact that he's just kind of doing the circuit right now of, of shows, I think it's one thing that I – have talked about a lot is that Marcus Freeman is the symbol of the program. And he's a really, he's a really good one, right? Cause he's, he's young, he's enthusiastic. He has a great just kind of personality about him and he can sell the program. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. that having a person like Marcus Freeman at the top and the coaching staff that you have kind of, you know, put into the the fold, cause it's not even like just the, it's not even just like the, the you know the cliche stuff of like trying to get him in front of the camera and stuff too it's the authenticity excuse me of the coaching staff as well but I think that right now we're seeing it Marcus Freeman is not Mm -hmm. afraid to shy away and he's like I'm gonna put my face out there because I know that recruits like it and also I have that kind of that personality that I think does sell for the program I I think Ryan Ryan speaking to something that that I think is is big I think Notre Dame has to like we've talked about Notre Dame being the biggest brand in college football. And when we talk about that, we're talking about influence and, and money. What I don't think there's big of a brand is when it, when it comes to the perception amongst young players. Right, Ryan. I mean, so like when you talk about Notre Dame and how they stack up against an Alabama and Ohio state for players, the branding is about winning NFL, you know, the hipness of the, of the program and Notre Dame has been a very stale program for a long time in that regard. Kids have valued the academic piece. They value the national schedule. Kids like the fact that Notre Dame is not in the conference. All those things help Notre Dame. The facility has gotten better. They don't win the level they need to, and they've been considered a stuffy stale program. Some of you need to read the comment that Samuel and Pemba had about the current coach compared to the old coach that's on the message board. And it's going to stay on the message board behind a paywall. But it was it was it's what we've always known. And that's what Ryan is talking about. There was something that came out from Fox Sports and they took a poll of like a thousand high school recruits or something. And in that poll, it was like the ranking the brand recognition. Notre Dame was 12th behind LSU and Texas. Texas A&M, LSU get they won a title. Ryan, Texas A&M. Wow. Right. Why? Because A&M is considered all the throwing out. Notre Dame is not considered a hip program. 
that's what Marcus Freeman is changing. That's why they you do the video in Las Vegas, right? For the for the Shamrock game. That's why Marcus Freeman's in New York City this week on and why Notre Dame players are going to be on different national TV shows because you're changing the perception of your program. You know, whereas Brian Kelly would want to go talk to boosters and people that are going to tell him how great he is. Marcus Freeman wants to get out and show everybody this is what Notre Dame is. This is what the brand can do for you. And I think those things are going to start to change the the narrative of what Notre Dame is. And those things then lead to, we're not going to pay you to come here. But if you really understand about becoming a legend, you're going to come here and understand that you can become a legend. But because of this brand power that we're building, you're also going to make some money along the way. And, and that's a big part of it, right? And so I think that's I think that's where Ryan, Brian's Ryan's coming from. But in the day, Ryan, mm-hmm. it won't matter if they don't win games. Like, and I'm talking big games. Yeah. They've won a lot of games the last five years. We're talking big games. They got to start winning the big games. You want to not lose Keon Keeley to Alabama and somebody else made at Ohio State? Here's what you do: beat them. Mm-hmm. Produce high NFL draft picks because that's the only reason that that Alabama's getting those kids. It's not because they want to live in Tuscaloosa. Just like kids don't pick Notre Dame because they want to live in South Bend. Kids, most big-time players don't care about stuff like that. It's short-sighted. They are looking long-term. I want to go somewhere that's going to develop me into a high NFL draft pick and prepare me to to make a lot of money playing professional football. That's what kids want to do. And if Notre Dame can get to the point where they can match teams for that, that, then that's when you can say they're going to be able to beat anybody. And it's going to be like Alabama. Once a kid commits to Bama, you don't think, oh, maybe we're going to flip the kid. Nobody thinks that. Right, that's how Notre Dame can get to that point, and they're not there now, which is why people are freaking out about Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen, understandably, right? Because Alabama is that juggernaut in the areas that matter to young people. It's a different conversation than the brand power conversation we've had in the past, right? About TV rights and conferences and all that. That's a that's more grown folk talk, right? That's more you know media people and CEOs and people like that. That's not what a seventeen year old cares about, right? Sure. It's a different brand. The brand. Discussion is different when you're talking about those two because that has more to do with what's happening now. The brand we're talking about where Notre Dame is still number one is more of the the big picture conference, what TV deal, shoe deal, and stuff like that are you doing? There are two mm. different conversations, and Notre Dame's brand power is not as strong in the one that matters to high school recruits. And that would be that would be it, Michael. It's a great question. Yeah. Great, great question. Here's one, Ryan, and we're going to wrap up here soon because we're this show's been very, very long. Uh, he says, if you guys could change only one play from the past 20 years of Notre Dame football, what would it be? The one that comes to my mind is the huge pass play in the fourth quarter of the Bush push game. Boy, that's a that's a good one. I mean, I 20 what... years, so that goes back to basically – I mean, it's it's – 93 is is outside of that scape uh, outside of that scope so you're basically going to the end of the bob davy era yep i mean so the fourth and nine is one yeah Mm -hmm. that's one i think uh i would go to the the offensive pass interference against florida state yeah i still think that team would have kind of not won a title that year but yeah you'd have a big win under your belt Huge I don't win. think they'd have lost to Louisville, Louisville and Northwestern. I think they still would have lost to USC because they Maybe. were just so beat up by that point. I mean, they were putting Jacob Matuska out there start at defensive line because they were so banged up. But I still think they would have beat Northwestern and Louisville because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how ever Golson's career would have changed had he Man. hit that pass, you yeah. know, like and didn't lose that confidence. Um, so the the other the only the other one that I could think of, and, and you you. you I'm, I, I want to get your immediate reaction. So as soon as I say it, I want to get your reaction. Okay. Instead of fumbling the ball oh. in the 2018 Cotton Bowl, Ian Book climbs the pocket and bangs Miles Boykin on a post route on that second drive. Can you say you know that one more time? About? You, bro- you broke I know up on my end. I know you're having internet issues. Uh, yeah. Se- se- I think second drive of the game against Clemson. Okay. 2018 Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. instead of dropping back and not being willing to throw the ball and fumbling, Clemson recovers, goes down and kicks a field goal to go up 3 nothing. Instead, Ian Book climbs the pocket and actually bangs that post route to Miles Boykin, who was open. Notre Dame gets first and goal if they don't score. All of a sudden, instead of being down 3 nothing, you're up 7 nothing, and Clemson yeah. can't defend your run game the same way because Ian Book just threw a post route over the top of your head. 
Sure. I would have sure. loved to have seen how that game would have played out if that play would have happened. That's, That's the true. only other time I could look at and say that team could have played for a championship other than – and the only other – here's the only other one that comes to mind besides the 05 game. If uh-huh. Brandon Wimbush hits Equinemius St. Brown That's on a post route – I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Because I think no, that no, I was season gets out completely differently, man. Yeah, no, I was going to say against that – I mean, his – it's a touchdown, man. And that, yeah. that Miami game, I felt like everything just went right after that. You know, it was just like, mm-hmm. okay, then pick six happens. You can't stop the run. And it's just ugly after that. Right. But if you had, take mm-hmm. a little bit early momentum, it might be a completely different football game. It might be a completely yep. different football game. Yep. Here's an interesting comment from uh, the Ryan Roberts fan club. Love he it. says, I wish we had Marvin Mims. Man, that would change the entire game on offense this year. This right here, this comment is exactly what we were talking about earlier. Marvin Mims at one point in time was committed to Stanford. Yep. How was that kid? How did that kid not give Notre Dame the time of day? Because we know why. They were afraid right? to go to Texas for we, a wide we, receiver. We know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 who would have been recruiting him? But this that's the kind of kid that if Notre Dame had this staff, then I think he's at Notre Dame. I, I really do. And and that's the frustrating stuff because he's right. If Marvin Mims, do you think he could he could play boundary in your opinion? Don't you? Not not in the same way Miles Boykin did, but I mean in the same way Lorenzo Styles can. He's a he's a little small though. He's a little small. Well, so was Devontae he, Smith, and he played a ton. He played a is, ton is in the Mar- boundary. Is it Marvin only like five ten? Am I wrong? Is he yeah. like uh, it's like five ten, five eleven. Yeah, okay. he's a good yeah. size kid though. He's yeah. one eighty four. I mean, again, he's a good size kid. I'm, and again, I'm talking about like in the Lorenzo Styles type of way, possibly. Or, or you possibly. could just move Lorenzo there, and you have him and Braden and Avery to the mm-hmm. field. Uh, but you know, for me, that type of kid, you put that type of kid on this year's offense, Ryan. And it's, but here's the thing: Would Marvin Mims be Marvin Mims if he would have come to Notre Dame and played for Dell Alexander the last two years? Probably not, because that that's that's the best part about Marvin Mims. I would say honestly is. Marvin Mims is a really good athlete. He's got good straight line speed and everything, but like he's a technician as a route runner, man. He right. gets in and out of breaks. He look he's he's a really good player, man. He's a really yeah. good player. As a high school senior, Marvin Mims set a national record with 2,629 receiving yards on 117 receptions with 32 touchdowns in one season. It's pretty good. I I'd say that's never pretty heard, good. I've never heard of anything like that in my life. That is Yeah. 2,600 yards in one season receiving. That's pretty decent, right? Did you say that's good? 32 touchdown catches. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I couldn't but, do that in Madden if I tried, like, on rookie mode. Like, that's insane. That's just what's so frustrating. It, it, it really is because it's those kind of kids that Notre Dame should have been getting all these years. Like, Ronald Darby. I mean, this shouldn't have lost him. I'm sorry. Like, that's just the kind of kid you should have landed. It's just – it's frustrating because – there's been all these excuses about why Notre Dame can't succeed. And mm. it's because of academics and blah, 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 all this other kind of stuff. Right. And it, it was never about, you're always going to, you're going to, if Notre Dame goes out and wins two of the next three national titles, they're still going to lose kids for something. You're always going to lose kids. But it was the fact that they were losing kids for things that was, were entirely 100% in their control. Right. Because the head coach didn't work because he didn't hold coaches accountable because he had a staff filled with a bunch of mediocre recruiters. And this team still went out and went 50-whatever and nine the last five years. And that's the stuff that frustrates me because it, 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 was, it was controllable. It was fixable. It wasn't the school. It wasn't the institution. It wasn't South Bend sucks. It wasn't the weather. It wasn't the girls. It was, wasn't the academics or admissions. Like all the other lame excuses people use why Notre Dame can't recruit top players. It was always because you weren't willing to put in the work. Self-inflicted. Yeah. And, and that's what's frustrating because there's so many kids like Marvin Mims. I mean, think of all the kids Notre Dame has lost to Stanford the last 15 years. If the, You know what I mean? Like, think about that. And it's just so frustrating. Like, imagine if Justin Reed comes to Notre Dame instead of Stanford. I believe – what year was Justin Reed? You know what I'm talking about? The um, I, I always confuse him and Eric Reed. Right. Eric Reed was definitely years. earlier, but I, I thought Justin Reed, I'm, I'm going to look. Yeah, he was a 2015 kid. 
imagine if you had Justin Reed, Alohi Gilman, and Jalen Elliott all in the same backfield going trying to play Clemson in 2018. Or if you'd have had him even more, if you'd had him in 2017, instead of starting Nick Coleman, who was a mm-hmm. nice player that year, nice player, but Nick Coleman wasn't going to beat Georgia and Bama and teams like that that year, right? Imagine if you had Justin Reed on that team. Imagine if you had Tom Carter's son, who I think would have been on some of those teams as well. So it's stuff like that that frustrated me so much over the years. There's things about Notre you can't control, and that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be the case. It's just – I'm just not – I'm just tired of those those type of things. It's just – I'm tired of – of the things that 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 you struggle because of your own decisions, not because of anything else. And um, yeah, uh, Jason Ch- Chalanik has one. The mm-hmm. Notre Dame blocked punt that touched a defender in the beginning. It was uh, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank here? The linebacker that transferred to the Lido, Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones. Remember yeah. that Bo Bauer blocked the punt early in the game. I mean, they were rocking Michigan on offense. They were shook. And then that gave Michigan the first down, and like the whole energy of the stadium changed at that point in time. And Stan- then Michigan went down and scored, and the game was over. I mean, not only the game was the route was on. That's an interesting yeah. one too. So a lot more recent. Uh, that's an interesting one too. You could pick a couple yeah. games from the stamp from the Georgia game. What if Terry Terry uh, Godwin doesn't catch that ball, that one handed catch he made? What if he doesn't catch that? that? That was an insane catch. That was yeah. an insane catch. And I'd Terry still Godwin go with Miami. A very average player. Yeah. yeah. I'd still go with Miami because you still would have been in the playoffs if you beat Miami and Stanford, even with the Georgia loss. Right. So I think – I still think that po- – because I think that was a young and front-running Miami team, in my opinion, and crowd especially. If you hit that post route on that first drive, it would have – and he was open by several yards – that's a touchdown. I mean, that that's a touchdown, and that crowd quits. I mean, because that's what they did. That's what Miami fans do, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's just that those are the frustrating things for me about where this team has been. So I hate that that's the last question because I hate ending on like a negative note, but, hey, it is what it is. Uh, here, here's an well, interesting the positive. One. The yeah. positive is, is that those times are behind us. Yes, that's true. We're now. Here's a question from earlier that I, that we didn't get to. Uh, John Wayne's Winchester he says, Brian, long gone are the days of quality sports journalism on a national level. No longer are we getting pieces with quality of imagery and storytelling like Blue Gray Sky from uh, Grantland Rice. Why has the level of journalism on a national level declined so significantly since then? Because TV replaced newspapers. Yeah. It's really what it boils down to. And and T and, and the and the the twenty four seven news cycle, because and and then the third piece to this is when the media became the rights owner, essentially, to the sporting events. Once ESPN became what it is now, there is nothing in it for ESPN's journalists to go find cheating going on at the big time programs that they have signed contracts with think about that why like we talk about like the the stuff that they talk about like oh the media says this that they they know like hey my company's trying to sign this huge deal with the big 10 or with the SEC. why am i going to go out and write a negative article about the fact that that a lot of schools in the SEC don't care about education don't make their kids go to class do this do this do this wrong thing do that wrong thing why is there any any motivation at all to do those things? Why is there any motivation at all to stand out there and say, hey, this whole big mega conference thing, this is hurting the game. This is going to ruin the game. Oh, hold on a second. My company's doing that. My bad, guys. Sorry about that. You know what I mean? Like, so to me, journalism is no longer independent in that regard from a national perspective. Because they are now tied into it is good for us to be signed on because we are now playing all those games. That's where all the money comes from. Because media people are getting paid not because people care. ESPN's reporters don't get paid because of the revenue they produce. Their ratings aren't good. It's the same problem with the newspapers. They are employed and make the big salaries they do because they have contracts with all the major sports. That's why. Right. And so once your job was tuned into that, tied into that, you are no longer going to get honest journalism 
because we're not going to go out and write an article criticizing the our 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 meal ticket. Right? I mean, that that's the reality of it. Why have they always been so willing to bash Notre Dame? Because they don't make money off of Notre Dame in the same way they make money off other teams. They make money off Notre Dame when they play a road game at, the, at their thing, but they're not making the money off of it. So it's easy to go after Notre Dame that way. If Notre Dame would have signed with ESPN instead of NBC, the percept the 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 coverage of Notre Dame since 1991 or whatever uh, for Notre Dame would have been cr- tremendously different because there'd have been a, there'd have been a incentive to hype Notre Dame up. That's the reality of it, and so that's why it's not journalism anymore. It's it's entertainment. And that's what it's become. That's what's become at the national political level. It's no longer honest journalism. It's politics. It's my side versus your side. It's what do I got? Hey, bashing this guy is, you know, if I'm on the right, bashing Joe Biden is going to make me a lot of money because people on the right hate Joe Biden. If I'm on the left, I'm just going to do nothing but bash Donald Trump all the time because people on the left love bashing Donald Trump. So it's no longer about journalism. It's about sensationalism. It's the same thing in sports. Why do people keep putting these rumors out that within 24 hours you and I are able, or you're able to go out and talk to a kid directly and say, "Well, that's bull crap." Well, how many clicks did they get in that 24 hours that sold advertising that made them money? That's what journalism has become. It's no longer about the quality. So it, 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 I, it frustrates me all the time. I could write a I could write a long breakdown of the quarterback position or cover two whatever, and it's not going to get a lot of clicks. I put a story out with a video of Notre Dame's epic. You know, that's the the most read story we've had this month is a story I wrote about the uniform reveal. That's frustrating. I could just continue to re- write stories about stuff like that and choose not to. But the reality is, is that's different because we're a small company. We can afford not to make this kind of money. But these bigger companies that have these big, big, you know, bloated employee bases, they can't afford to do that. They have to write the sensational stuff because that's how they make money. And that's what journalism has become, in my opinion, Ryan. And I don't know if you have something you want to add to that, but that's, to me, what it boils down to is once they got in bed with the people they're supposed to be covering, it stopped being journalism. It became entertainment. Yeah, it's bias at that point. I mean, because it's, right. it's bias because it's benefiting you, right? right? I mean, like that's it's benefited bias. So no, I, right. I think you I think you I think you kind of symbolized everything pretty well like it's it's just it's unfortunate because i would love to just sit there and just write something that i'm legitimately proud of but unfortunately it doesn't always get the clicks and it's very unfortunate but we'll always be that way and i hope that if we ever got go away from that that people will hold us accountable because that's not who we want to be whether we're right or wrong about something i always want it to be to where you're going to get our honest opinion and we're going to be wrong about things we're going to be right about, I hope, a lot of things. But the reality is, is you don't ever question if we're giving you our honest opinion. Because we are. We may be wrong, but we're going to give you our honest opinion. So that's um, that's that. So anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at, everybody. So thank you. It's close to our longest show ever. So I want to thank everybody for uh, for joining us as, as Matt D. came jumped in. I don't think Mace has kind of given us his... Uh, his going away yet, but Matt D says uh, jumping on for a minute to remind everyone to hit the like button, hit the sh- hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast so that you never miss a live show. Check out boards.irishbreakdown.com for all the intel that we've referenced during the show, and of course check out irishbreakdown.com for all of our free content pieces that we were referring to earlier. We do not make anybody pay for our articles that, are, that we produce. Only thing that we, people pay for is the community. And of course, some of the intel, but every story that we produce at irishbreakdown.com that's published is free. So you definitely want to check that out for sure. So uh, for Ryan Roberts, um, I'm Brian Driscoll. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Uh, Really kept a good audience until about the four hour mark. And then we saw a dip, but man, you all hung with us big time. So we appreciate you very much. We'll we'll probably be back tomorrow. I've got to get with Sean Davis about that and, and find out for sure. Uh, if we're going to be able to do a show tomorrow, if I'm going to have time to do a show tomorrow as we get closer and closer to fall camp. Next Friday, we will have a part practice recap and then mailbag if we have time. We'll do a mailbag as well. So next Friday, Ryan, when we're here, we're going to have a practice recap of the first practice of Notre Dame's fall camp, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun, which will come the morning after we have a second show where we talk about whatever decision Jaden Osbury is going to make. So tune in for all of it, everybody have a great rest of your day. And thank you so much for joining the Irish breakdown podcast.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.